This is Chad Harrison, and you're listening to Hope Alive, applying God's Word to your daily life. Hi, this is Chad Harrison, and I am the teaching pastor of Lake Community Church and have been serving as a pastor for 25 years. I'm also a practicing attorney. This podcast is designed to help you study God's Word and find God's will for your life. I pray in the name of Jesus right now that God would open up his word to you and allow you to see him and to know him and to know his will, that you might glorify him and that you might walk in faith and power each and every day, especially today in Jesus. Hope Lives Friday side notes. Uh, on Fridays, we're going to uh, delve into some side notes. And what are side notes? They may be historical issues that I want to deal with that give you a biblical perspective. It might be something economic, might be something from the Bible, might be some symbolism from the Bible, or it might even just be some ideas, philosophical, maybe even scientific that interest me and that I think the Bible either speaks to or they shed light on scripture and allow you to understand and see scripture in uh, maybe a new, a different, a more in-depth way than you saw it before. So uh, Friday Side Notes is a dealer's choice type situation for me in, in that I am going to just give you information that is important. Welcome to Friday Side Notes. This Friday, we're going to deal with an idea or a term that I introduced last week. I introduced it uh, kind of tangentially explaining body, soul, and spirit. But the main thing was what I'm going to introduce this week is the idea of the new birth. It's the idea of being what we call born again, or really better translated, begat again, but I'll explain that in just a minute. The main thing is to understand that it's an idea that Jesus talked about that was introduced in the Old Testament, and then Paul deals with it several times in the New Testament, and even John himself deals with it when he's telling the story of Jesus and Nicodemus, and then also in his own epistle in 1 John. So what is it? First of all, what is it? The new birth was prophesied to us in Ezekiel uh, chapter 36, verse 26 through 27. And he says in there, he says, uh, the prophet says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. Notice he says, I'm going to give you a new heart. And remember the soul is has two aspects to it. We see that really uh, starkly in the New Testament with cardion suko, meaning meaning our soul is not only our emotions and our passions, but it's our mind and our intellect, our cardia, meaning our emotions and passions, our mind and our intellect, meaning our suko, our thoughts or our soul. Both of those aspects of our soul make up who we actually are. And so when we're studying uh, God's word and we're thinking about that, God is in the process, and we call it the salvific or sanctification process, He's in the process of giving us a new heart and a new mind. Now, being born again does not have to do with your soul and your spirit are two totally different things. And uh, likewise, when we talked about it last week, your body is something also. And that may be the thing that's the easiest for us to understand our flesh, understand our, our personal physical manifestation in the earth. We know our body. We know that. But understanding our heart and our spirit or our soul and our spirit is important. And, and that's what Ezekiel said. He says, I'm going to give you a new heart, and then I'm going to put a new spirit within you. And, and, and you go, he says, I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh, 
and give you a heart of flesh. Notice what he's saying is I'm going to I'm going to change that heart that is so hard toward truth, toward spiritual understanding. I'm going to I'm going to take that heart and I'm going to change it and that's giving us a new heart. I'm going to change it to a heart of flesh. And then he says I'm going to put my spirit within you and and I'm going to put that new spirit in you. I'm going to put his spirit and that's how God communes with us. He communes with us spiritually. His spirit communes with our spirit. His Holy Spirit communes with our personal spirit. And that is what is born again. That's what's begat again. In fact, I'm going to go into it in great detail next week during our Friday side notes. But in this week, we turn to John chapter three. And in John chapter three, there's a story where Jesus talks to Nicodemus. And in that story, Jesus says to him, he says, you must be born again to see the kingdom of heaven. And that word that we translate to be born again is the word geneo, and it means to be conceived. And what that means is, and the reason we use born is because obviously we're physical. And for the last 2000 years, understanding that whole idea of, of coming uh, out of the womb and coming into life and being a newborn baby, that makes great sense to people. But the word itself actually means to conceive, which places all the emphasis on the parents and their encounter or their intimacy, bringing about a new person, bringing about a baby in the womb of the mother. And what God is explaining to us there is he's saying when Jesus told Nicodemus, you must be born again or conceived again. What he's saying is there's something new. There's something that wasn't there before that comes from the father, that comes by the father's will. And that has to be conceived for you to see the kingdom of heaven. Now, they have a deeper discussion about that, and we'll go in into, into it in detail. But the understanding that there must be a new birth or a new conception in order for you to see the kingdom of heaven or for the kingdom of heaven to be in you. Remember, that conception takes place inside of you. That new conception brings about the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. And Jesus said, uh, you'll not look for the kingdom of God anywhere. You can't look around. You can't say here it is or there it is. He says, for the kingdom of God is in you. How's it in you? It's in you by the new birth. It's in you by God placing it inside of you a new human spirit. And that spirit died in the garden. That spirit was was dead in Adam and Eve when they ate of the fruit, when they did their own will and chose not to follow God's will. And he said to them, in the day you eat the fruit of that tree, you shall surely die. And what died was their spirit. And so what Ezekiel said had to be placed back inside of us is a new spirit, something that doesn't exist now something that didn't exist before, but does now. And it is conceived just like Jesus was conceived in Mary's womb by the Holy Spirit. So also a new human spirit is conceived in us by the Father and by the Father's will. In fact, Paul explains this in 2 Corinthians 5, 17. He says, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. That's the word K-T-I-S, katissis. It's hard for me to say, and it's definitely hard for me to read. But it says there, therefore, if a man be in Christ, he is a literal 
new creation. He's not what he was before. He's not the same. He's not something altered. Sure, his heart's being changed. Sure, his flesh is being uh, saved in the glorification process after we're dead. But literally, he is a new creation physically. He's something new that wasn't there before. And in Galatians uh, 6.15, Galatians 6.15, Paul also explains this. For he says, for in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything, meaning the Old Testament picture of being different in the flesh, that idea of circumcision and being changed and God removing the flesh and making them new. He says, for now in Christ Jesus, we're not under the Old Testament law. He says, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything, but a new creation. Again, that whole idea of a new Christus, a new us being made something new again. John says this in 1 John chapter 3, verse 14. He says this, we know that we have passed out of death into life. Notice, at some point in time, when we were actually alive, we passed from death into life. What kind of life did we have? We had a physical life. Our soul had a life, but something was not alive. And then it passed, we passed into it and it is alive again. That's what he says in 1 John 3, 14. He says, we're passing from death into life. What kind of death is that death? And if you ask somebody, they'll answer it and they'll give you the right answer. If you ask somebody who knows scripture, what kind of life has God given us? And they'll say he's given us spiritual life. And sometimes they mean uh, soul and sometimes they mean spirit. And sometimes they don't mean either because they think they're the same thing, but they're not. Our soul exists. When we're born, we have personalities. When we're born, that's the creature that we are. That's who we are. We have our own soul, each one of us uniquely our soul. And when we're conceived in our mother's womb, physically, we're conceived with that genetic structure. And when we're born and when we're growing in our mother's womb, we have a personality. And if you talk to any woman who's had multiple children, they'll tell you that each child in the womb has a different personality. They act different. They respond to things differently because they're different. They're their own creation. They're something new. And that's who you are. And I want you to know that because it's so important. It gives you an idea of how important life is to God. And it also gives you an idea of how important you personally are to God because you're a unique life. And he, when he comes to you to have a relationship with you, he not only comes to your body, your physical body, he not only comes to your soul, your personality, your heart, and your mind, but he also comes and makes it a what makes a way for you to have a relationship with him, to commune with him perfectly. And that's by giving you a new spirit, by begatting in you or conceiving in you a new spirit. And that spirit perfectly communes with the Holy Spirit of God. He says in Ephesians 2, 1, uh, two, two, four, and five, and this is the Apostle Paul. As you're reading it, he says here, but God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. And notice, he's talking about being born again, giving us a new life, and then salvation taking place for our soul. 
And, and that's the process. Remember last week we were talking about you're sanctified in your soul. Your body eventually is glorified. But if, at the very beginning, it's all started by God giving you the new birth or justifying you before him or really giving you the quickening of a new spirit inside of you. And so God's been at work at this for a long time. And his plan for you has been from a long time ago. In fact, it, it, it was in the beginning that he planned for you because Jesus died, Jesus Christ was, was slain from the foundation of time. Why did he have to be have to be killed from the foundation of time? Because this plan has been in place from that time. And so if it was the will of the Father, it was going to be. It was going to happen. And we have the new birth, and we pass from death to life, as Ephesians 2, 4, and 5 says, but we have it because Jesus made the way for us. It's a personal relationship that we have with him, but that personal relationship was initiated, started, and made possible by him. It's, a, it's an impartation of his very divine nature. In fact, Second Peter says this in, in chapter 1, verse 4. Let's just start with verse 2. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and our Lord Jesus. And his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and, and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by the glory of by glory and virtue, by which we have been given to us exceedingly great precious promises, that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in this world through lust. Notice, he says we're partakers in the divine nature. That goes back to that whole idea I was talking about last week of us having eternal life. We literally have the ability to partake in the divine nature of God. That's not metaphorical. That's actual. That's what Peter's saying. It's not a metaphor that we have the life of God. It's an actuality that we have the life of God. Now, can our flesh hold the life of God? No, that's why we got to have a new body. Can our soul ever obtain to the perfect nature of God? No, it can't. It's Our hearts are utterly sinful. We turn to our wicked ways all the time, but our spirit can. Why? Because it's perfect, conceived by the Holy Spirit in us, and so we're back in the image of God, back the way God made us to be. And I say this to you because it's important that you get this. It's important that you understand it. By understanding it, you realize, oh, I'm not doing anything. God's doing it. Oh, oh, I don't have to make new life in me. God makes it. And see, what you're learning to do is you're learning how to trust God. You're learning how to place your trust in his work in you. And then once you learn to do that, you begin to trust him and join him in that work. And so your heart and your mind begin to be turned and begin to be changed. And that salvific process, it begins to be completed in you. And your soul is saved. Your flesh is dead and then given a new body, but your soul is saved in this life. And that's why salvation is presented uh, by the Apostle Paul and by Peter and James in the New Testament as something that's presently taking place, something that has been taking place, and something that shall take place in its fullness. Why? Because salvation at its core is a process. Being born again 
or the new birth or being justified with God is an event that takes place by the will of the Father. Being glorified, having a new body is an event that takes place immediately after death. To be dead in the body is to be present with the Lord. Well, well, sinful flesh can't be present with the Lord. So immediately when you die, you receive that perfect, that sinless flesh, that sinless body. And you already have had your soul being changed into his image and into his likeness. And then the main thing is you've been given the life of God. You've become a new creation. The old is past, the new has come, and you have eternal life. And that kingdom is in that new spirit that God has given you. And that's a powerful understanding. And not only is it a powerful understanding, it's a life-affirming, life-giving understanding. It's something that makes it's something that makes the the whole work of Jesus Christ amazing. Really, it's amazing. Jesus atoned for our sins. He paid for our transgressions, but he didn't just leave us paid for. He changes us. For me as an attorney, uh, oftentimes I deal with a lot of clients and a lot of criminal clients. And sure, I can just go through the process of him them facing the law and uh, coming face to face with it and dealing with the law and. Uh, they're always either found guilty or innocent. And if they're guilty, sometimes they plead guilty. And what they've really done is they just affirmed that what they did was wrong. What they did was a breaking of a human law. But that's not where life is found. And my job as an attorney is not just to go through the functions of the legal system. My job as an attorney is also to be a counselor. And in fact, one of the names for attorney is counselor. You'll hear people say, counselor, tell us this, counselor, give us an understanding of this. And what I'm doing there is I'm leading them to something. And sure, I can perform the functions as an attorney of leading someone through the process of facing the law. But the truth is I want something new to happen to them. I want this experience to change them. And so, so I need to give them counsel and advice that causes them not to come in conflict with the law. And what that means is that their heart and their mind have to be changed so that they do not do those things that they did in the past. I tell you that because it's an important picture of how we deal with God. When we're dealing with God, he's not just in the business of paying for your sins. That's important. It's necessary. It has to happen. Jesus has to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins, but that's not enough. God wants us to be a new creation. He wants us to walk in that new life. He wants us to live uh, that new life. He wants us to have his eternal life. And he wants that to change our heart, to change our mind, to cause us to be new, to cause us to do things that change our uh, lives around us and to cause us to be light to the world we're in. And he does that in the context of a still sinful fleshly body, which is amazing unto itself, isn't it? It's amazing. So what I'd say to you today is, if you've ever felt the Holy Spirit move in your heart, if you've ever if you've ever heard the urging of the Spirit toward uh, God and toward His will and His ways, then that would not happen unless you had the outlet in which God could plug in, and that would be a new Spirit that He's already placed in you. And if He's placed that new Spirit in you, then you have everything that is needed in order to walk in the life that he has for you. And let me tell you something, you ought to. You ought to chase after it. You ought to explore it because the new life that he has for you, it's going to be different than everybody else because it's unique to you. Now, that new life is the same for everybody as far as it coming from God and being given to us by God, but it's new for you because the way it works out in your life 
is unlike anybody else's. That's why you're a unique, precious trophy of God's grace and his mercy and his power. And he wants to prove that grace and that mercy and that power in your life. And so he teaches you how to trust him. And in trusting him, you ignite the kingdom inside of you. You ignite the spirit made inside of you. You allow your heart and your mind to become one with God's will. Let me tell you something. If God is at work in, in, in just the smallest possible way in your heart and your mind, then he is fully at work in your heart and your mind. You've just not explored it. You've not exercised that faith, that precious gift of faith that God gives us at the new birth to trust him. So I'd encourage you to trust him. I'd encourage you to chase after him. I'd encourage you to open your heart and your mind up that you might know his will perfectly and walk in it because that's where the best is. That's where the good stuff is found. That's where life is. As you go today, I pray that the Lord will bless you and keep you, that he'll make his face to shine upon you, and that he will give you hope and peace today in Jesus' name.